Clap, clap your hands and stomp your feet. You're listening. You're listening to the Clap Your Hands podcast, hosted by Elliot Shore Parks and Kyle Newbeck. Here they come. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the Clap Your Hands podcast, brought to you by Odyssey Sports. Make sure you download that Odyssey app. Get all the episodes first. Uh, hit that auto download button. But brought to you by Odyssey Sports. Brought to you by Sports Radio 94 WIP. And the pod today is brought to you by what I think is one of the most just gut-wrenching, devastating losses uh, that I can think of in recent history. I mean, the, the city has been through a lot of winning recently, but as a part of that, also some losing, right? The Super Bowl, the World Series. And I know this is not some losing. That's like yeah. the understatement of the century. Yeah, but lots of winning too. But man, that came yesterday, <laughs> Kyle. Uh, I was in the arena just... From from all the momentum, they're gonna do it. This is their moment. And Bead's playing great. They come back, blah, blah, blah. And I've never been in a sadder arena than last night. Walking out to my car, it was almost complete silence besides people cursing about Tobias Harris and Melton and all these people. Man, oh man, oh man, what a loss. What a what just a disappointing sad night. So I just want to get a quick rant out of the way before we talk about the stuff that actually matters. And I want to also put the disclaimer in. The Sixers are the reason the Sixers lost this game, point blank period. Mm -hmm. That is the worst officiated game of maybe the entire NBA season. Mm -hmm. Like, let's just, we could run through the amount of missed calls. Jalen Brown, clear up and down travel into a Marcus Smart three to push the the Celtics early lead to 10-3. Missed it. That's three points right there. Missed goaltending call on Joel Embiid that goes against the Sixers. Another two points on the board for Boston that they never should have. Five-point difference right there. You go to the second half where they call the clear path foul. Joel Embiid shoots the free throws. They wait 30 seconds plus a review and then go back and say, hey, we fucked that up. Actually, Tyrese Maxey had to shoot the free throws. There's like a 10-minute delay during that challenge and review process because they fucked up an obvious call on the baseline. Robert Williams essentially headbutts the ball out of bounds about three feet from Ed Malloy, and Ed Malloy is so blind that he apparently couldn't figure out that it was out on Robert Williams. There are several calls on plays where you know guys are selling contact. It was Marcus Smart and James Harden. And their determination on whether it was a pass or a continuation into a shot for free throws, I can only describe as they must have just flipped the coin and said, wherever it lands, that's what the guy is yeah. going to get. Marcus Smart, you know, grabbing Joel Embiid's wrist before he ties him up and then Joel commits a clear path foul. Marcus Smart pushing off before he grabbed a loose, a loose ball. <laughs> Marcus Smart. Uh, getting a timeout called when he didn't have his hands on the ball in a tie-up situation. And look, I'm just giving you like the obvious ones from the Sixers perspective. And this is not a, the refs tilted the game or decided the game or were Boston biased or whatever. They were just flat out bad and they sucked. And it was a big reason that it was just such an uneven, unorganized game because there was just no rhyme or reason to what these guys were calling. Well, I just wanted to get that right. out of the way out front because the rest of the podcast, I want to make sure that we say and focus on the Sixers were not good enough, did not deserve to win the game. And then that was like a bonus. Fuck you yeah. on top of that. 
so real quick, like, so I was, I was at the game and when Maxi, like the Maxi shooting those free throws was one of the most unfair, dumb things I've ever seen. The refs had Embiid shoot the free throws. He made the free throws. Had Maxi, and then the game continued. Yes, the, the game, game went continued. on. Yes, the game went on. Had Maxi missed one of those free throws, and then they look, they lost, but they ended up losing by one point. Had they lost by a point or two points, I honestly think like the game should have been under protest or something. Like that would have been ridiculous to take those points off the board. So I agree. Lots of moments in those games that went against the Sixers from a refereeing perspective, a hundred percent. Now let's get to 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 the rest of what the really matters dude let me tell you i cannot believe they lost that game i cannot accept it i've been upset about it since the end since coming into this profession i think you know and you can speak to this there is a part of you that like removes yourself emotionally like i with the eagles i i remove myself emotionally from that not because like oh it's like blah blah it's just hard to be invested when you're covering the team it's the best way i can put it I'm not there with the Sixers. Like the Sixers were my favorite team growing up. <laughs> Iverson's my favorite athlete of all time. I had bought into this team and the season is not over. But what I kept thinking about last night was um, every Saturday I do Go Birds Radio on WIP. And there's a caller that called in last week. And this was after the game three loss. And I thought he phrased it so perfectly. And I think it, it, it just like perfectly describes the frustration of last night. Am I sad that they lost? Yes. Did I knew that? Did I know there was a chance they could lose? Yes. But I think what sucks about when this team loses is they make you feel foolish because the entire conversation is always, should you believe in them? Are they good enough? Is Embiid legit? Will Harden show up? And people that defend them, people that say, you know, yes, Embiid is the best player in the NBA. No, this team is different. No, Harden is going to show up. They make you feel foolish. They make you feel flat out foolish. They come out last night. They're flat off the jump. They they play terribly to begin with. Somehow they're still in the game. They fight back, right? So then you're sitting there and going, okay, this team is different. Look at how they fought back. They fell behind, but they didn't let it get ahead, out of control, whatever, right? Then they have it. Like they have that game. You were there. You can speak to it. They had the momentum. Embiid makes the free throws. I thought it was a good sign he wanted to take the free throws. Everybody's invested. They're playing well, right? Like, even just looking them down on the court, you could tell that they felt this was their moment. And it was their moment. Last night was their moment. And then to end that game the way it did, to Melton, like shooting it every time he gets it, Embiid not touching the ball. We'll get into his comments after the game. It was just, it makes you feel foolish for believing. And I think that's what sucks most about it. They play on Sunday. Maybe they'll win. The series is not actually over. But last night felt like a death blow and a funeral of a team that, I, maybe I was foolish to believe in. I still don't think I was. I still think I still think they're different. I still think like all these things. But I feel foolish last night because of what they did and how they ended that game. So here's the thing. This game comes down to essentially two things. Role players not making shots was a killer. And James Harden just right back on the seesaw and sucked last night. Yeah. Flat out. So you brought up Melton a couple of times. I don't have a single problem with the shots that he took in that game. Those are the shots that role players have to make for you to win a title, period. In the fourth quarter, three open threes from the corners. I mean, he's a, what, 39% three-point shooter for the season? Mm -hmm. And he's got to make those. That, that's what it comes down to. They're, Boston's whole gambit last night, the lineup switch and playing double big, is predicated on the idea that we're going to load up the middle of the floor as the Boston Celtics. Joel's not going to have driving lanes. James Harden's not going to be able to get to the paint. And somebody else is going to have to punish us. P 
P.J. Tucker, DeAnthony Melton. I mean, George Niang hit his threes. Daniel House Jr., Tobias Harris. Those guys have to make open threes. Like the, If Boston plays that way, the easiest thing to do is just make your open threes, and then they can't play that way. Then you're back to a normal, the rest of the series that the Sixers are up 3-2 in. And, you know, Doc was in a really tough position last night where he brings Niang in fairly quickly in the second half when it becomes clear that, um, I don't know why my camera just disappeared, but we're the just going to roll with it. The season's disappearing, Kyle. That's why the season is disappearing. So Doc is in this really difficult position of he has to bring Niang in for offense, but then he might get back more on defense. He thankfully yeah. punched above his weight. But look, man, it's just like you can't be in this position where you're quote unquote two way guys. I'm air quoting on a black screen <laughs> yeah. right now. Well, I was just looking at a little circle like fluctuating. So, yes, yeah. I will take your word for the, the, the air quotes. But so, no, you're right. Continue. So they have to make shots. Like, I, I'm not going to get mad at um, James or Joel or Tyrese or whoever for passing to the open player. Like, that. So, that's the job. That's what you have to do. What I will get mad about is James Harden doing the fucking bullshit he does in all his bad games where he is so concerned with trying to draw fouls and trying to be the grift machine that he simply cannot just play basketball. He's just flailing all over the place. He's hoping that the referees are going to bail him out. That's just, you're not going to win that way. That just yeah. In the playoffs, especially in a road game seven, which is coming up, you are not going to get borderline calls. You're going to have to get basically mugged to get put on the free throw line. And so to spend so much of that game where he's just barreling into people and hoping he's going to get bailed out by the officials, you are not winning that way in this type of series against this type of opponent. The James Harden who we saw destroy Al Horford in space, be a great shot maker at all levels of the floor, was just completely absent last night and if he if he plays like that in game seven, they will lose by 25 points. It won't even be close. So first, after last night, I needed a smile. And you ranting about this, well, it's just a little circle. It's hysterical. Like watching <laughs> it go, go back and forth. But here would be my counter to that. Because I, on the surface, like on a macro sense, I think you are right. You make the, you make the correct pass. And those shots by Melton were pretty much wide open. Now... It's like people say, they leave you open for a reason. And I think after you miss the first one and the second one, maybe don't be so trigger happy on the third. I can respect that attitude a little bit of, all right, you know what? I've missed, but I'm still going to take it. And it goes back to kind of a debate people used to have about LeBron, which is, if are, are you making the right pass in the moment or is it your time to be a superstar, right? And LeBron always said, I'm going to make the smart basketball play. And I understand that 100%. But at the end of the day, man, there's a reason Joel Embiid is MVP. There's a reason Joel Embiid has a max contract. There's a reason we talk about Harden as potentially getting a max contract. I get I get making the right play. I understand all those things. But last night was their chance. Last night was the moment for them to say, you know what? Game six, at home, playing Boston, get out of the second round, give me the ball. I'm going to take us home. I'm going to be the one that wins us this game. And then to say after the game, like, oh, I didn't touch a ball for the last five minutes. 
I, I didn't take it as finger pointing like a lot of people did. But part of me is like, well, Joel, guess what, man? If you want the ball, go get the ball. Like say, like say in the huddle or say in between plays, I get the ball next time next time down the court. And I think this is what frustrates people about Joel because he was awesome last night. That block he made where he blocked it fell out of bounds and threw it in with one hand. And I think it led to a three pointer on the other side was, was one of the more remarkable plays I've seen with my own two eyes on a basketball court. And when it was happening, I was thinking, this is it. This is a Joel moment. That's the play we'll talk about. Right. When, when they're, when they're in the finals or if they win the finals, we'll look back at that and go, man, remember that play along the way? It's the Reese Hoskins bat slam, right? Like it is a play that you will replay in this DVD of this season. But instead, after that, he makes a great play. But then he disappears, and they all did. So I'm not signaling signaling him out. But at the but like Harden doesn't do anything at the end. Embiid doesn't do anything at the end. Yes, Tobias needs to play better. The role players need to play better. But you know what? Jason Tatum, after playing terrible all game, made back to back heartbreaking three pointers. Right? Marcus Smart, who is not in the level of a Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, he 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 foul griffs. It's terrible. I agree. He's not fun to watch. But he also made a lot of big plays, helped them win that game. Like the 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 best players have to make the plays to win it. Embiid started slow. Harden started slow, which impacted them them having to come back later in the game. And in the final five minutes, not to score at all, it's completely disappointing. And this is this is this is what everyone thought was going to happen. This is what everybody thought was going to be the issue is that when the games get close, when it's time for them to say and prove that they're different, this is what they turned into. And that's what makes you feel foolish about it. The fact that all year, right? I spent weeks on air saying the Embiid MVP thing is amazing. We should all cherish it. I'm happy he got that moment. And I think it's, it's perfect that he did because in a season that could end disappointing, I'm extremely happy that he got that type of thing. But at the end of the day, what's sad is people are going to remember this, right? I'm at WIP. I'm in the WIP studios. The Eagles came, the Eagles schedule came out yesterday, right? There was not a single call this morning about it. It's everybody calling and saying, Embiid blew it in that spot. And that's what makes me sad about it. That's what makes me frustrated about it because I know he's had a great year and I know he's a great player. But at the end of the day, those moments are what define you. Like, I think that there's a chance they win on Sunday. It's a possibility. But also, I'm worried that Joel's legacy is just going to end up being a loser. Lost to the Hawks, right? Lost to, uh, you know, we'll see about this series, but lost that game six. You take everything that was good in game five, and now it's gone. And so for the people listening to this pod, to the Sixers fans, it's so frustrating because you put so much of your belief into somebody, so much of your, this is the guy, and you defend him against everybody, and blah, 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 blah. And then this is what they do again and again and again. And they had the momentum. Like, that's what sucks the most about it. They had it. I was sitting in that arena going, you know what? They are going to do it. I'm texting my friends. This is the moment. Here we go. I can't believe it's going to happen. And then they did it again. Like, I, I, it was, it was incredibly frustrating. It was incredibly disappointing. And, you know, in a weird way for game seven, it almost makes you think, Everybody is so out on this team that who's who knows what's going to happen. But I also I can't emotionally get behind the idea of a team that I have to like depend on what James Harden is dressed like before the game to decide if I should be confident about them. And Kyle's having internet problems, so we might wait a minute on this. But ultimately, when I look at moving into game seven, like what I'm going to sit by my computer like a fool and decide if what James Harden is wearing is how good he's going to play. I'm going to watch these first five minutes and hope that 
hope that they don't just give in. And yeah, producer James might hop in uh, to uh, to to uh, get some going here while Kyle works on his internet issues. But yeah, I just uh, I I I feel foolish. I feel sad about it. And for Sixers fans, you know, I I do want to also come in now that I've gotten my my official ran out. I do also want to say this. They could win game seven. They're going to have two days off. They're going to walk in with no expectations. They're seven and a half point underdogs. Everyone in the city has given up on them. The two days rest is not, is not a small thing. They've won twice in Boston. They know that they could win it. And while I am extremely mad at this team and I am extremely frustrated this morning, I'm going to Taylor Swift tonight. They're messing up my Taylor Swift day. Like I woke up in a bad mood. I actually woke up this morning and forgot if they had won or I forgot they had lost. And the feeling of remembering they lost was extremely devastating. So that wasn't fun. But I do think this team is different. And maybe that's the fool in me. But I'd rather go down feeling like a fool and believing in them than spending the next two days talking about how you have to let Harden go and all these things. They could win in Boston. And I, while when I picked them to win this series, it wasn't because I thought they're a way better team than Boston. It was because I don't think they'll get eliminated. I do not think they will be a team that will get knocked out. And I think Sunday could be that moment where we finally get that answer. Like, is this team different? So that, for those listening, that rant would have gone anyway. I wouldn't have let Kyle interrupt me. Kyle <laughs> is having some internet issues. But because of that, we are going to introduce the the true MVP of the pod, producer James, oh, who was, was at Xfinity last night. And I mentioned I that today. James knows the devastation that was felt from that game. James, I mean, look, if you want to give your opinion on it, uh, you know, your kind of big, big point it, view. But, I mean, just walking to my car last night, people were not happy outside. Yeah, it, it, it wasn't. I mean, it was it was probably around the same vibes that you were experiencing in the stadium, just like a roller coaster of emotions. You, you come yeah. out and kind of get punched in the mouth, like, by Boston. So everyone is a little bit of, of shocked and disappointed from the start. And then just like you said, the Sixers found a way to come back, tie up the ball game. And then there's a huge sense of belief of like, now it's going to happen. Like we've yeah. picked ourselves off the mat. We realize we don't want to go to a game seven in Boston. So it's time to get it going now. And then to, to go right back down to that valley of Joel disappearing, not understanding why De'Anthony Mountain is so much of a focal point of the offense and why James Harden isn't. But I think, uh, a big point that I saw last night, and I was interested to get your perspective and Kyle's if, if we can ever get him back. Yeah, is, the season's over. Kyle's gone. This, yeah, this, Kyle, this is that's a simple yeah. Kyle's gone. Uh, to me, uh, Tobias Harris spent way too much time on the floor last night. I, I didn't yeah. see Tobias Harris make any much of an impact in that game. And even more to that point, I saw him lose pretty much all of his matchups you know, going. And he yeah. tried like you know, to give it. To give him a little bit of credit, Tobias wasn't really going absent in the offense. He wasn't fading, wasn't drifting in the offense. But he just wasn't effective. He wasn't hitting shots. He wasn't defending. He wasn't getting out in transition. And then when he tried to, you saw him come up short at the rim a bunch of times. You know, Jalen Brown and Derek White not being able to finish over people. So I know Toby doesn't carry a home like a whole lot of weight on this team. But how do you feel about like Toby being on the floor yeah. and, and the non-factor he was? In so, this game and maybe in this series. I know he's had a couple yeah. of moments, spot moments. but He had a good start to the playoffs. And, look, he's had his moments where he's gotten into double digits. My thing with Toby last night and on a whole is I, I fluctuate back and forth. Because on one hand, I'm like, you know what? 
he's the fourth option on this team. He is right. not the guy that they should be counting on. On the other hand, he does make the money he makes. And you look at the Celtics. Why are the Celtics tied in this series? It's not because of Jason Tatum. It's not because of Jalen Brown. It's because of Brogdon. It's because of Marcus Smart. It's because of Horford having strong moments. And he wasn't great last night. So on one hand, you are you are correct in the way that Toby absolutely has to give them more. But it would be hypocritical of me, somebody who is always, you have the best players, those are the ones you count on, to completely rip him to him, him, him for that moment. But this is the tough thing, too, is, you know, now they go into game seven, and what do you do with them? Do you keep them on yeah. the floor? I mean, there were stretches in game five where he wasn't on the floor, but that was because of foul trouble. So, so I don't know. I mean, I think the Toby thing is what it is at this point. Like, ultimately, he is not going to be a difference maker for them. He's just not. But he has to give you more than what he finished with two points, I think. Like he has to give you more than that. There has to be a, a happy medium between between the two. What did you think of Maxi last night? I, I thought Maxi was 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 in his role, especially going down the stretch. Like I, I thought, especially when he found his groove in Game Five in Boston. I think he knew, you know, where he was in this offense and able to get it going. But Maxi is going to go as James Harden as Joel Embiid goes in this offense. I don't think Maxi is a tone setter for this offense. I don't think he drives it. I don't think he's going to be the one to kind of get it going if the offense starts to fade. So I don't want to put that burden on him, like, you know, going down the stretch when things start to go bad. Maxie's not the one to, to get it back going. Right. Maxie's not the one to pick the offense up. So I'm not, I'm not putting that kind of level and putting that pressure on him. But I do think the groove that he found in game five, he continued it in game six. And look, Kyle pointed it out, has pointed out a lot of times in this podcast like Maxi's shot making has not been good, especially no. against Boston. We yep. saw it get back right in game five. And I think we saw it good in game six too. He's never been really hesitant to get it up. So it's a matter of it falling and him finding his rhythm. And I think he's able to do that. Like he's figured out that he can't just get the ball in the corner and immediately go drive into Boston's length. Like that, that's something that he hasn't really figured out in the playoffs as a whole, but especially against kind of the length and the, and the verticality of Boston, especially when he gets in the paint, he's not able to do that. So he's able to figure right. out like what he's able to do on the perimeter. He's stretching the floor a little bit more, but the biggest thing is he's, he's starting to make shots. So if he continues that into game seven, I think, you know, Maxi plays his role right. And I think he's been playing well in game six. What about well, you? and no, I agree. Look early on in the series, I think he was 28% from three. He did not mm -hmm. play well. What I do like about Maxi, and I fluctuate on this too, but what I do like about Maxi is he does not seem afraid of the moment. He's mm -hmm. not had, he's not had good stats in some of these games against Boston in this series, but also in general. So and, and, and before you go, you pointed out the free throws that he had to go. Yeah, to. Those were incredible. Like Joel goes yeah. to him and says, you take the free throws. And he's like, oh, okay. And he like, makes both of them. And he makes I, them I, I, Yeah, that's big. In some ways he has the exact opposite personality of Joel and James where Maybe Maxie's not going to shoot well, and he definitely has more limitations as a player. I mean, Harden right now, you could argue because he's older, has obvious limitations as well. But Embiid is a better player. Harden is still a better player right now than Maxie. But what Maxie has that they don't is that X factor. There was a moment last night where P.J. Tucker was kind of – it was either after the free throws or before – He's like in Maxi's face. I think Maxi had just done something. I forget. Mm -hmm. But I remember looking and thinking, maybe Maxi is the next PJ for this team in terms of just being now he's too young right now to do it. And he, his personality is not the same as PJ's. Maxi's more of an always smiling type of guy. PJ, as we've seen, is more than willing to yell at you. But at least with Maxi, 
he doesn't disappear for long stretches, I don't think, because of his personality. I think he disappears at times because he's just not playing well and he's not shooting. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, he had 28 points last night, I'm pretty sure, something along those lines. Like, they're not in that game without him. He made big shots. He made some defensive plays. And that's what makes it all that much more frustrating is, like, you guys were right there. The yeah. game was there. And and I think they I got outscored 14 to 1 in the final stretch of it. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, my question, and I'm interested to get your perspective on this. Uh like for Embiid's legacy and for Harden's legacy, how like how much does last night impact it? But also what do you think about game seven? Because I had said before game five that it was the biggest game of Embiid's career. And, and I believe that. Mm-hmm. But game seven, man. Is now the is now the biggest game of, of the there's also so much there's also like not a lot of pressure in the way because nobody expects them to win. Like it feels like the series is over. It does not yeah. feel like they are playing on Sunday. And in that way, I am not sure that there is a ton of pressure on him, but it almost feels like we're walking into like a funeral. But if they lose this game, there is so many implications on how people view this team. I'm curious what you think it means for Embiid's legacy. I I think I, I'm I would push back a lot that game seven like doesn't doesn't have anything to do with the legacy i think game seven could be a pat either way like a padding to what happens to Embiid and harden's legacy if the sixers lose this series like you were right game five was the was the biggest game right. of his career i think game seven is now the biggest game of his career like legacy is kind of right. hanging in the balance a little bit like you went out and proved that you know in the biggest game of my career i can show up on the road in boston get a big win but then you almost, I don't want to say undo it with a loss in game six, but now you have to go and prove that that game five wasn't just like a flash in the pan kind of fluke. You got up for that game to do it. Like if you go and lose game six and then subsequently game seven after winning game five, I think first it starts internally in the city of like, okay, well, what was that? What was that game five? Right. Give us one game. You cannot do it consistently in the playoffs. I just, I wonder if people are already there though. That's my concern. Not if you win, but if they win game seven, it's kind of a, you know, they they got punched again and stumbled back. But I think if the Sixers win game seven, it proves one of the points you've been trying to make. And here goes Kyle. If we get Superman back, how am I coming? (laughs) But I think it proves what a point that you've been trying to make throughout this whole podcast is Boston's a really good team. So yes, if, Sixers, yes, if the yes. Sixers win game seven, I think it'll prove that they went through a dogfight with one of the best teams in the conference. And yes, it looked bad because they got hit with a couple combos, but they stumbled back and then back against the wall in game seven when it's do or die, winner takes all. They won, beat Boston, and they well, were able to come back. So that's that. Game seven can do a lot positively for, for their legacy and for belief, I think, too. Because I think so Boston's going to be one of the tougher matchups the Sixers will take. So I actually think it can do a lot more positive than it can negative because I think the negative is already the negative's there. already there, right? Yeah, it can like, already confirm like, the negative. Right, exactly. So I don't think people are going to feel worse about them. Now, if they show up and they do literally nothing, then yes, people are going to be very mad. But to your point about it being a positive, it is a chance to redeem everything. And this morning when I woke up and I was trying to slowly convince myself maybe they have a chance, if you remember in 01, uh, uh, Iverson versus Vince Carter in that Raptors series, mm-hmm. the Sixers, now the home court was flipped. So that is a difference. But the Sixers win game five. They get annihilated in game six. Like I think they lost almost by 30 points or something like that. And then game seven, Vince Carter misses a shot at the end to get past and uh, to for the Sixers to advance. And my takeaway from that and what I would say to Sixers fans is, it's not supposed to be easy. Like it, like getting past these moments that you've struggled with again and again and again, very rarely is that victory that you've been waiting for one that's smooth, one that you can just mm-hmm. go through. And so 
while last night was absolutely devastating and it feels like it's over, the sick part and almost like worst part is it's not over. They do still have a chance. And if they can go into Boston, and I don't care if they win by one point, whatever. I don't care. Game. If, yeah, game. if you just win. Like Iverson outdueled Vince Carter in that series. Remember, it was like 50 points one game, mm-hmm. 50 points another game. And that's what I remember when I think about it. I think about the missed shot. I think about Iverson scoring 50. I don't think about getting blown out in game six. I don't think about the fact that I think they I think they lost the first game of that series, if I'm not mistaken. You don't think about those things, right? You think about the positives. So if they can win on Sunday, then you look and go, you know what? Game six was absolutely devastating. But yeah, they were different. I'm not foolish to feel the way I felt. It can be an incredibly uh, like gratifying and reassuring moment that what we thought about this team is not there. So that's why I do think game game seven Almost there's only to gain in a way because I think everybody's already there from a loss perspective. Well, boys, the voice is back. My internet cut out. My camera decides it's not working for God knows what reason. I think they're trying to tell us something. But they can't hold you down. No, they can't hold you down, I'm here to destroy everyone's optimism. because Hopefully (laughs) hopefully the Sixers show the same type of resiliency as, uh, as you are right now. Yeah, um, we'll see about that. I, so here's what I would say. I've got to listen to at least a few minutes of you guys talking here. What do you think the road team's record is in Game 7s historically? Uh, not good. Very bad. Yeah, very bad. It's 35 and one out of 146 games. There have been 35 wins in Game 7s by road teams. Out of how, many of those were, how many of those were Doc Rivers? Half? Good, uh, good uh, portion. Yeah, I, I would yeah. say no. That's not, no. not. They're not high up the list. Um, right. I mean, there there was a road victory in a game seven around one, but it required one of the greatest Steph Curry performances in his yeah. illustrious mm-hmm. career. And to put it lightly, the Sixers do not have a Steph Curry on their team who's been there, done that, and looks at a road game seven as like, who cares? Yeah. So I, I guess my concern at this point, and obviously there have been some big performances from Joel and James in this series, is that they don't have a guy who I can look at in this spot and have any confidence that that guy's well, going to go out there and you know seize the moment. Let me ask you this, because we talked about a little bit while you were fighting, fighting the good fight to get back on. <laughs> but Joel and James, before you got knocked out, we were just talking about big picture stuff. What'd you think of their performance last night? Because we were discussing this on one hand, like this is what Joel is going to be remembered for. And I'm a little worried. I was looking at a screenshot today and coincidentally enough, today's a three-year anniversary of the Kawhi shot versus the Raptors, which is just another I little. I mean, that's just, you didn't have. Yeah, yeah. Another little, another little stab in the, in the heart. But I mean, like if they lose this series, Joel, once again, ends the, ends the playoffs being thought of as a loser. What did you think of his performance in James last night? Like the main two guys, how did you think they played overall? Well, I said, I think before I got disconnected or whatever, that James Harden was about half of the reason they lost that game. Wow. I just, I, I couldn't stand all the theatrics and the flopping and the foul baiting. I wrote this morning something to the effect of, he has to play like it's a basketball game and not a foul drawing contest. And yeah. That has always kind of been the problem for him in these big moments is that he wants to try to do the same things that you might do in a regular season game against, you know, the Charlotte Hornets in February. But in a game seven, you're not going to get away with that crap. So 
He's got to be much, much better. Um, I, I think people probably went too overboard with Joel criticism after the game where it was, he's got to be better and he's the MVP and all that. It's like, well, if he doesn't touch the ball, Joel's not going to bring the ball up the floor. It's yeah, not but- all on him. Like you're going to say, oh, he's got to demand the ball. Well, okay, if he's getting double teamed or they're loading up the entire middle of the floor to stop him, Joel just trying to sledgehammer through five people is fucking stupid. There's no reason to do that. You have to go where there aren't defenders. If guys are wide open, like it's the same stupid shit. And you brought his name up earlier, like all the, the LeBron stuff, like LeBron, not just trying to drive through a hundred people and hitting open shooters was smart. Did he need to find a balance earlier in his career with, you know, being quote unquote, the guy, and playing team first basketball, yes, but I didn't. I didn't see Joel like, oh, Joel got the ball and he's he doesn't want it. Like that happened at the end of game four. This was he never got the ball. They're wasting ten seconds of the shot clock on basically every possession. Then Joel gets the ball with like ten seconds. He gets doubled and he's not going to get the ball back. James is dribbling the clock out, or somebody's taking an open mm-hmm. three. Like there, I. Definitely think that Joel needs to be better than he was. But the only reason they're really in that game is because of how good he was defensively, honestly. Yeah, and I so, get that. So uh, we're, we're, you have we're, to we're balance it me, against that. Yeah, so let me push back a little bit on that. So I do agree that Joel just charging into five defenders down the lane is not the way you want to do it. And I do understand the point of make the smart basketball play. But this isn't that dumb Hawks team where uh, Hawks, I don't know why I said it that way. That dumb Hawks team where in like 2018 or whatever year it was, they gave all five players player of the month. Like, like I'm not, I'm not trying to win this through like making the smart basketball play time and time again. We can't sit here every pod and say, they're going to be as good as their stars are. They're going to be as good as their stars are. And then say, well, you know, just, you know, if it's Melton taking it, it's Melton taking it. So I see your point about, you know, if he's double teamed and you have to find a balance, And I don't think he was running from the ball. And look, Doc deserves credit for this too, right? Like Doc has to find a way to get him the ball in space, call the right plays, like do whatever. I just, I I can accept, and I said this before the series, I can accept if they lose and and, because the Hawks, I mean, because the Celtics are the other best team in the NBA right now. I think it's them Mm. and the Sixers and the Nuggets are playing well. What I can accept is watching them go down with Melton shooting and PJ shooting. So Embiid was great. Embiid was in his moment. And then it felt like, maybe through no fault of his own, whatever, he disappeared. And that's what's frustrating to me is but, you know, don't just say I didn't have the ball for the last five minutes. Go get it, man. Like, go get it. We're in game I, six of the playoffs. Figure out a way to make it happen. And I do understand the frustration a little bit because you look on the other side and Jason Tatum goes off for 16 yes. in the fourth. Yes. So you're, you're watching the Celtics' best player take control and take command down the stretch. And I think for a lot of Sixers fans, especially in the building, are watching, okay, their star is taking over. I right. want my star to take over. And Elliot, you brought up the Iverson Vince Carter duels. Like that was an opportunity to have like one of those classic duels yes. of Tatum and B going down the stretch and Embiid, you know, maybe you know, having the opportunity to win it for the Sixers and have a big iconic moment of beating Tatum down the stretch. But I think that's where a lot of the frustration comes of watching Boston's best player who hadn't been going all game, who had been quiet and been terrible, struggling yeah. all game. See a couple go through and decide, okay, I'm taking over in the fourth quarter. And I know it's harder for Embiid playing in the position he does and playing the style he does to go and demand the ball and do that. But I think that's where the frustration lies of, of watching Tatum yeah. go off and the Sixers not being able to watch their best player, the MVP, 
like take over in the fourth quarter down the stretch. Not only not take over, but not get the ball with, you know, four or five minutes to go in the fourth quarter. That's frustrating. I mean, I get that, but Jason Tatum also almost shot his team out of the game and was saved by his teammates because they were good enough last Mm. night. Right. Marcus Smart was good enough. Robert Williams scored enough buckets. Malcolm Brogdon off the bench. Derek White in in a secondary role. Like, the whole reason the game was even close was because those guys made plays. Like, yes, Jason Tatum made plays at the end and that was the separator in the fourth quarter but like if DeAnthony Melton or PJ Tucker or any of these guys does anything in the third and fourth quarter Jason Tatum's not even in position to impact the game down the stretch is what mm-hmm. I'm saying so like you have to catch like everyone likes to look at it as like well this is what happens in the final five minutes and that's all that matters in a game you have to like get to that point first the Sixers should have been up Eight to fifteen points at the end of that game. They just hit wide yeah. open shots. Like that's they had a lot of chances. They played. They played better defense than the Celtics did in terms of like forcing the shots that they wanted, getting it in the hands of guys who you'd rather have attacking. And when Tatum is trying to attack himself, most of those shots are just really difficult shots. And I understand in the playoffs, and I've said as much. Like you want the ball, the ball in the hands of your star. You'd rather see. Joel go like 10 for 30 sometimes then see like PJ Tucker has to take like eight threes or whatever it is. But when a team is strictly loading up the paint and saying, we're conceding an open three to you on every possession. That's not just like, Hey, Joel, you're not good enough. Or like, he's not mentally tough or he didn't come get the ball, which is like a lot of stuff. I'm not saying you guys are saying that, but that's a lot of like stuff that Trust, they were saying that in Xfinity. Trust me. That's that's, that's what, what I mean. I've been so like, saying in Xfinity. It's the stuff that you're seeing online, on TV, within you know circles of the fan base. And that's just like not what happens. So there has to be a middle ground between, yes, Joel has to come get the ball. He's got to figure out when he does get his touches. He also just, he's got to move quicker. He's got to attack more. He's got to play with more of that. Right. He's got to be more of that physical guy on the low post around the rim and so forth but i mean even last night there were opportunities throughout the game he lost his goddamn mind on tobias harris at one point because yeah, he had marcus him, yeah. smart sealed off and tobias just does the like four and five pump fake passes they swing it around and i i don't remember if they missed a shot or turn it over on a yeah. a bad pass after that you have to hit him there like that's and we can get into if you want to say this is the problem with building around a big man as your best player that you are in some ways restricted in getting them the ball late in the game when it really matters. I think that's a fair thing to think about. That's the tough part of Joel being your best and most important offensive player. But that's a different conversation than was he good enough or did he rise to the moment and all that. Like James Harden, you can obviously say. Gave that game away. Joel, it's a lot more complicated than that. I, I, I agree. I think complicated is the right word because, to be clear, I'm not saying Joel didn't want the ball or he didn't step up. Like, a lot of times when we talk about Joel in these spots, it's he was bad and you could see it on his face. That wasn't the case last night. It was just frustrating for me that in the final five minutes, it felt like he had no impact on how that game was decided. Through his yeah. fault, through not his fault, whatever. I'd rather go down swinging with the MVP than I would – 
Melton and PJ. And your your right. basketball point is correct. It was just frustrating to watch. Now, Kyle, let me ask you this because you were in the postgame pressers, right? And Joel talked about this. He said, I didn't get the ball in the last five minutes. There was some disagreement between Harden and Doc to an extent. It's being painted. I disagree with this a lot that like the Sixers are pointing fingers again. That's not the interpretation I got from the quotes. I'm curious from somebody that was in the, in the press conferences, what was your takeaway from the quotes, but also just the mood of the team after the game? So full transparency, I missed the first maybe minute or two of Joel because I was trying to make sure that James didn't pull the bait and switch again and talk to like two people in the locker room. Because that was not happening after that stink bomb. So I I missed the beginning. But, you know, from watching it back and and knowing Joel and knowing these guys, I didn't think there was a lot of like, oh, that guy's getting thrown under the bus. It was, we got to be better. I got to be better. We missed shots. And it was just kind of a matter of fact, this is what happened rather than, well, I did my job and fuck everybody else. I, Mm. I didn't feel that. And, you know, I think that's part of why Doc Rivers' message was, we got to share the ball. The ball's got to move. It was trying to deflect from, hey, this was a one-guy problem, or James shot four for 16, and that's why we lost, or PJ was getting ignored. It was just – they did a, a reasonably good job of saying, look, we we own this as a team, and we're going to have to figure it out as a team. I just – I think the problem coming into game seven is that the fix in that game essentially was – you play Niang, that opens up the floor, and they can no longer do this double big thing. Mm-hmm. The odds of George Niang holding up against Jason Tatum on an island in a road game seven or any of these other guys are so low. And so I, I just think Doc and the whole team are going to be painted in a corner of either PJ or Melton make shots, or I think they're in big trouble. That's And that's one of the things, actually, I kind of wanted to ask you, too, from being there of – we know the attitude kind of after game six is somber, but what is the attitude going into game seven? I know you brought up the, the record of road teams in a game seven. It doesn't look good, but I'm watching, you know, Maxie in his post game. And I know that's kind of just on brand for Tyrese Maxie to be the, you know, glass half full. I'm always smiling, positive guy, but a lot of people have a, a you know, a bad attitude going into game seven. And he's talking about like, there's no other, you know, group of guys. There's no other, team I'd rather go into a game seven with. So mm-hmm. is there any kind of optimism around the team going into Boston of saying like, I know it looks bad, but we can do this. We can win this game. Yeah. I will say, I don't know that Tyrese's demeanor matched his, his words because <laughs> that's, that's some of the most dejected I've seen him. Okay. He's wow. kind of just like sighing and, and things like that. When he sits down at the podium. Now, again, he did go on to say that, Joel said, you know, game seven, that's fun. That's like an awesome thing. And the message was pretty consistent that these guys are not phased, but the message doesn't really matter, right? Like we're going to see whether these guys are ready for game seven. And this is why I've said to Elliot several times over the last, you know, three to five days or so, when when he asked me, well, what do you take from this game going into the next one? The answer is basically nothing. Like every single game is its own entity. Mm. The the change of the lineup, bringing Robert Williams in, that changed the whole complexion of the the series essentially, and, and the the matchup and, and what happens. And Boston, in a spot where they were the more desperate team, came out with more desperate energy. And so now 
in game seven, in theory, both teams are going to come out. And it's why game sevens are always normally slugfest because both teams want to throw a haymaker early and be like, we hit first and get out Mm. to that early lead. Then the other team's chasing the game. And that doesn't tend to happen. It's normally like guys are forcing up shots and it takes about a half a quarter, maybe a full quarter for people to settle in. And as much as we'd like to think that this is a, a star driven type of moment, a lot of times it comes down to whose role players are hitting shots. Like Boston in this same spot last season, after they battled back, they got a huge star effort from Jason Tatum game six against Milwaukee. They came back home and it was like the Grant Williams show mm-hmm. in game seven in Boston. And that's what it might take. It might take like six made threes from George Niang or the Anthony Melton having a huge game off the bench. You, you really never know. You would like to think it's just, hey, Joel Embiid hits them with a sledgehammer or Harden scores 45 points again and is, you know, the hero of the series, wins them three games. But I I just, I don't see that. I don't think that's how this is going to play out. I don't think that's how the style of the series has gone to this point. Dude, I would be stunned if they win game seven. I'm just being honest. Like, aren't road teams teams up in this series though? They are in this series. I agree. And look, I will, I guess I'll try to believe in them again. I just... I think about last night and it felt like their final shot. It felt like the final, the final effort of piece of effort that they had. It just did. Like we know that these guys are emotional guys. We know what Joel is like. We know what Harden is like. The fact that you're saying Maxi is like maybe the most dejected you've ever seen him last That's night. Tough. I mean, the po- like the, I mean, again, James, you can speak to it too, but like post game, I'm listening to WIP and it's like the season's over. It's like, there's not even a game seven. And I think so often about this quote from James Harden that you said, Kyle, like, I know, I know that when you win, it feels like you'll never lose again. And when you lose, it feels like you never win. Yesterday, I was battling with my friends that I thought if they won last night, they were going to sweep their way to the finals. Right. So I know that it is an emotional roller coaster of a thing. It's just when I hear you say, and it's true, like, well, maybe it'll take six threes from Niang, or it's going to take a a DeAnthony Melton game or something like that. I don't know. I just, I don't see it. I, I think that Embiid could maybe play great and maybe they'll keep it close, but I just, I feel like last night was such a death blow. I can't imagine them coming back and winning. I just, I, I can't envision it. Yeah. I would not bet on them in this game, but that's more about the historical trends and just the difficulty of winning a game seven on the road. To James's point, it's been a road team series. And that's what makes all this hurt so much worse. Like mm. you win two games on the road in Boston, which is such a house of horrors for this team. If you just have a normal series at home, you are already in the conference finals. You win two out of three at home. You're skating into a matchup with either Miami or New York. Right. And we're all sitting here saying they are probably the NBA finals favorite at this point. And now it's just, this is why you fight for home court advantage in the regular season. It's, well, it's me, valuable in this exact spot. No. Let I, me ask, I, sorry, go ahead, James. I was just, I was going to say there's, there's always opportunities to continue to prove why you were given the MVP trophy. And yeah. I think this is just another opportunity for him to prove why he was given the MVP, like whether it's, you know, whether we're fortunate for him or not, whether he wanted to do it in this way or not, but, 
you know, there's, there's always opportunities to say like, this is why, you know, he was voted above everyone in a landslide to get the NBA MVP because we can expect and hope that he goes into Boston in a game seven, puts this team on his back, gives us a 35 to 40 point dominant performance and, you know, puts us in the conference finals. I don't think that's too much to ask. No, well, I do think asking him to win game seven is asking a lot. But to your point, like great players do things like that. And maybe this will be Joel's moment. Like they're not dead yet. It feels like they are, but they, they are not dead. The one last question I had for Kyle, and then I have a rant I would like to do. But the one last question I have for Kyle, the one tangible thing I can hold on to as hope is that they do get two days of rest. Like they haven't gotten it all series. We know Harden's better with rest. In theory, it's only going to help Embiid. How much of a factor do you think that can be to, to hold on to for hope? I, I mean, a little bit, but I was hoping for more there. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, look, the shortest rest game of the series was James Harden's best game, arguably, yeah. right? Um, I mean, maybe you could say, I'll say this about Joel and the extra rest. There's a moment during the third quarter where it was close, and I leaned over to Rich Hoffman and I said, they better hope they win this in re- regulation because Joel's not going to give them anything in overtime. Mm-hmm. And I thought you could see that he just did not have, you know, the same level of conditioning that he had at the end of the regular season that he's as much as we were like, yeah, he's working his way up. He's building himself up, but having to play these repeated 40 minute performances over and over again, I like, I don't see him being able to carry them for that long, he can give you, you know, three quarters of elite, maybe three and a half quarters of elite play. And then like, as much as he didn't get the touches, I wouldn't have had confidence that he's going to be able to carry them down the stretch. So maybe that extra day makes a difference. Maybe it makes a difference for James, but like nobody actually knows. Like, did we see a lot of stuff last night that was conditioning based I don't think so. I thought there were more mental errors. There are issues with, you know, lineup configurations and so on and so forth. So we, if you want to be an optimist, sure. But I don't see that as like the magic bullet by any means. Well, and this is another issue with your best player being a center and weighing as much as he does and being as big as he is. Like he's the conditioning. And to your point, I don't think it was a ton of conditioning last night, but when your player is this big, like it just is hard and this deep into the season, this deep into a series, that deep into a game to to have, you know, to feel like you're really give to feel like you're able to give it your all. So so we will have a game seven on Sunday now. Um, do we want to make official predictions? Anybody else have any final thoughts on, on this one before we uh before we wrap it up? Two I'm best words the court. <laughs> I'm taking the home team. So yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. Fuck it, I'll pick the Sixers. Who cares, right? I, I mean, has got to be team optimism, man. Be sure. All right, let me close it with this. And this is going to sound random, but I, I've been thinking about it all morning. I am so done with I Just Want to Rock by Little Uzi Vert. Like, get no, this I can't, can't, can't agree. Get, get can't agree. Song. Can't Terrible take. Can't get, can't get on it. Can't get on it. Fully away from Philly sports. It is not a good hype song, number one. It oh, is associated with losing all right the eagles played it before their super bowl they lost the sixers have it number one on their pre-game playlist they lost game three they lost last night like it's not a good hype song like dreams and nightmares intro that has a definitive like okay it's time to get hype moment when the beat drops right just wanna uh or dancing on my own by the phillies right great sing-along song 
This is not a good. Not going to agree with you on that it one. It is not a good hype song. There's all he does is like whisper all the time. Like just. I mean, Elliot, if you can't do the dance, just say that. That's what. Oh, of course. I mean, look, I can <laughs> do the dance if I have enough. Old let me tell you. I mean, let me let me tell you. Here's why I agree. To get you going and get you hype ready for the game. No, that's not all. Yes, my yes that's my point. When the vibes are good, when it's a timeout, Sixers went on a 12-2 run to go up three, and you throw that on at any function, wherever you're going, it, it really just takes vibes through the roof, man. I can't Dude, get on I, it. I, I could, I, if I never hear that song again, I will be fine with it. I think it's like they need a don't, new don't song. Don't take a ride with me. Don't, don't do that. <laughs> <Well, laughs> Here's ahead, my contribution. They played it at the wrong time last night. They played it last night immediately after Jason Tatum hit the one big three to push the lead. I believe it was Yeah, you got to have some feel with it. And yeah. it's like, bro, this is not the time. I don't care if you have to play some cliche, like. Play the Rocky theme song. And I don't even like it, but play something other or than play that. play like that, song. the scene from Network where it's like, you got to open up the windows. <laughs> yeah, like all that yeah, other, yeah. the shit they used to play in the 90s when I was yeah. a little kid. Like whatever you have to do, that was not the time to play Lil Uzi Vert. I'll tell you I'm that. telling you. We're going to get Elliot a tutorial. He's going to like it by the summer. Sports aside, fine song, whatever. That song is the song of losing in Philly sports. And the sooner we move on from it, the better chance. Like, they better not play it in the locker room pregame game. I mean, the the Phillies played dancing on my own through the whole playoffs, and we lost in the World Series. Yeah, but that was a memorable, fun playoff run. Like, everyone remembers that fondly. Nobody remembers the Super Bowl fondly, besides me, because I still think the season was a success. But whatever. Like, no one remembers the Boston game fondly, right? People remember dancing on my own fondly. There is no good memory. I don't. I was sick of hearing that damn song. Well, it's a better song than Well, well, okay. Well, there you go. You guys are on the the same side of opposite songs. Same. Yeah, so it's a perfect way to end it on. So, all right. Game seven Sunday. Uh, we will have a post game pod. God, I hope they win this stupid game. But we will uh, we will talk to you guys then. James, MVP of the pod, thank you so much for hopping nice. in. While uh, Kyle, Kyle guys let me- my internet, the LVP of this pod. You're good. Yeah, exactly. You're good. Yeah. Appreciate so, you letting me come off the bench. Hopefully, I did a better job of getting me Oh Yeah, well, I was going to say, you did way better. So, all right, guys, we will talk to you soon. Thank you, everybody, for listening. As I said off the jump, make sure you download the Odyssey uh, the Odyssey app. Make sure you hit that auto-download button. And leave a five-star review. Leave us a five-star review. Vent about the team. Leave a five-star review. So, all right, I will talk to you guys next time. Thanks, everybody, for uh, for listening. This has been Clapton.